Hello and welcome to the Courage to Be podcast, where we explore how to raise your game, lean into discomfort and have more impact and purpose. I am your host, Sinead Millard. Hello, everyone. I hope you are all doing okay. Um, I am here hiding out once again from my children. That's how I get some work done these days. They are being supervised by an adult, never fear. Um, It's funny, I was saying to a friend the other day, I'm either working from my bedroom in hiding um, or my car. And sometimes in Richmond Park, actually. Um, So it's pretty flexible. (laughs) Um, Today, I want to share with you a conversation I actually had in the very first lockdown. And it um, is with a great guy called Stephen Robotham, who is a British rower. He started rowing a little later in life. I say later, considering the success he had thereafter. Um, So he started in university and after three years, he was in the Great Britain under 23 squad. And in 2004, he was selected for Athens Olympics. However, six weeks before the game, Stephen was dropped and singled out for poor performance of the boat. Um, Four years later, he was standing on the medal podium in Beijing with an Olympic bronze medal around his neck. So today, really, it's about hearing from Stephen and what that experience was like for him both being dropped from the boat so close to the games and what enabled him four years later to stand on that medal podium in Beijing so here's my conversation with Stephen Steve welcome to the Courage to Be podcast thank you very much for having me it's an absolute privilege Oh, wonderful. Um, To give the audience a little bit of context, I was introduced to you a few weeks ago by the wonderful Michael Sirwa, who also featured on the show season one, episode four, I think. And uh, Michael actually shared with me an article that you had written entitled Becoming Unstoppable, Overcome Your Adversity Through Accessing Your Conviction. And I'd like to begin, if I may, by reading the first paragraph, which is pretty short, of that article. You okay with me reading that out? Okay. Yeah, of course. It was the 27th of June, 2004. I still remember the exact date when I thought my lifelong dream had been shattered. Just over six weeks to go before the Athens 2004 Olympics and I had been dropped from the team singled out for the poor performance of the boat I was in and kicked out of the team at the click of a finger. Snap. So, Steve, if you could take us back to that moment in time, that day in 2004, and describe that experience in more detail. Yeah, of course. I think there's a few um, moments in your life or days in your life that you'll never forget and, you know, the, the birth of my children clearly being one of those, but, but that day in particular stands out for me. Um, and I remember it was such clarity now, even looking back at it, it was a number of years ago. Um, I was, I was racing for my, my seat in the, in the Olympics and it was deemed at the time that I wasn't good enough. The boat wasn't quick enough. Um, and I remember walking into the room, the head coach, and I could immediately tell, you know, with his eyes and his demeanor that, you know, that that was going to be it. And, and he delivered the bad news. He said, you know, 
we've we've decided that you know you're making the boat go slowly and you're going to be you're going to be dropped from the team. Um, there was no second option. It was it was just it was it was gone. It was taken away from me in a moment, and and I started arguing with them. And I remember I uh, had a, a bout of Tourette's and anger and aggression, and thought I was going to throw a chair at him and things like that. And it it quickly dawned on me. Um, that the decision had been made and there's nothing I could do about it. So I got in my car and drove out of the rowing lake and pulled to the side of the road. And, and I and I said to myself, I've got a decision to make. What do you want to do? And you have that internal conversation with yourself. And for me, it was, um, you know, do I quit? Do I, do I finish? Do I stop? Do I go and do something else? Um, you know, am I not good enough? Or am I convinced that I that the dream is still alive? That actually my end goal, my vision, is attainable. And I still want to get there. And you know, fortunately for me, I, I decided on the latter. And and I say, if you read the article, it's, it's a I access part of my my soul that was convinced, absolutely convinced that that I was good enough and that I was right. Um, but at that moment in time, I was never further from that podium at the Olympics and that point that, that's what I felt um, and I didn't know how to get there I didn't know what the next four years was going to look like and I didn't really need to know at that point at that point all I needed to know was are you going to continue are you going to to still focus on that vision of, of representing Great Britain at the Olympics and the decision was yes started the car pulled out the road and as I say four years later the rest is history Mm, that's incredible for me I'm almost as I'm hearing that it's like a sliding doors moment because in the face of challenge so whether that's a personal kind or a collective as we're experiencing now with COVID um, I guess you can go either way it can move you challenge can move you forward or, or set you back and I'm interested in you talked about accessing that part of you that believed that you could do it and and I really want to just take a moment to go there because I think that that isn't always the case, being able to access that, especially when you're feeling quite overwhelmed by the emotion of what just happened. If you go back to that point in time when you were able to access that part of you that did believe that you could make it, how do you think how do you think you chose to? Yeah. What, what was it about your upbringing or your nature that enabled you to access that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's happened in the last few weeks months during the lockdown has been a lot of self-reflection because a lot of what I've achieved and how I've achieved it in life and and you know referencing that point that you that you mentioned just there when I was dropped from the team it was all very natural to me it happened it just happened um but there's a there is a distinct process that I go through um in order to access that conviction and then take action on the back end of it um I'm a middle child, so it's it's fairly cliched and stereotypical. But I am from birth was the most competitive human being on the planet. Had to beat my brothers at everything. Competed for my mum's attention and love. Still do today. Um, stubborn, uh, very opinionated. All of the things that you would probably you probably list out. Um, but but. You know, from a, from a quite a young age, because I, I I've never had much talent at anything. I've never really been good at anything. I was played a lot of tennis, kind of quite seriously, but I wasn't the most talented person. 
I wasn't the most clever at school. I ended up with good grades. If you watched me in the rowing boat, you'd probably laugh at how bad my technique was. But there was something that I was able to do, and that was to use every ounce of talent that I had and push myself to limits that other people weren't able to push themselves to and make decisions as well. And I say access parts of my, my mind and body that others couldn't. And I think that that's grown through my experiences in life. I, you know, I, I'm very fortunate in my upbringing. I haven't had a huge amount of pain. Um, I've obviously had adversity and I've had my own moments in time, but I've, I've sought to learn from them. And I think that's the big thing. You know, uh, one of the things that um, recently we started talking about is that you, you don't fail. It's just moments of learning. And everything, every time that something's happened to me, good or bad, I've, I've looked to learn from it and make myself better. My big thing is just performing to your potential. Um, and for me, it's just seeing how good I can be and loving the journey. And I've, I've, this is the big thing that I figured out in the last kind of 12 weeks is I just love the journey more than anything. Take the money away. You can take my Olympic medal away. If you ran away with it today, you know, I'd never see it again. That's fine. You know, I don't particularly want that to happen. But, you know, what I do have is I have the memories of the journey that I went on from that moment from that moment in the car at Dorney Lake through to the next four years of standing on that medal podium. And that for me is like life, you know, it makes me come alive. It puts a smile on my face. It was what fulfills me. Um, but yeah, life's a massive journey. Yeah. And in terms of that process, cause I think that's incredible. Like we talk about detaching from the outcome and trying to focus more on the process has that been something that you were naturally able to do or something that you've had to learn? For me, it's very natural. Um, but I've had to learn how to improve it. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the first things I do, for example, is I take stock. So I sat in the car and said, okay, what, what do I have? What resources do I have at my disposal at this moment in time? That can come in talent, skills, experience, people that are around you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you know, if you if you don't have talent, if you don't feel that you can do it, if you don't have people that can help you to get there, then the decision could be quite easy that you don't want to do it. I think that you need to decide that is that end vision, is that end goal still the vision that you want? Is that what you still want in life? Um, and if you can decide, yeah, that's definitely still something that I want to obtain, then great. And then it's just taking your first step, and and I think what 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 is what we've got to be very careful about is, you know, if at that point I'd said, okay, yes, I still want to win the Olympic gold medal in four years' time in Beijing, that's a huge statement to make, and we can come out of the post-COVID environment and make huge statements. We want to change the NHS. Policing should be different, you know, and that's a massive thing to tackle. But actually, the most important thing is that I turned the the key in the ignition of my car and drove home. That was the first step that I had to take. And I didn't necessarily think about steps two, three, four, and five. They became, again, very natural to me. Yes, I needed to go on holiday. Yes, then I needed to go to the World University Championships and and win a medal. Yes, then I needed to get back into the team, etc. But I didn't really know what those steps would be other than I need to take action. And what were those next steps in hindsight now that you look back? Yeah, I mean, one of the things is you know, it takes an army of people to get you on the medal podium, and um, it was surrounding myself with people that were 
better than me at certain things that knew more than, my, than me. You know, as I write in the article, I found at that time during that period, I found a, an incredible physio called Ben Ashworth, and ultimately, um, twelve weeks out from the Beijing Olympics, I fractured a rib, and it's normally that you're out of a boat for twelve weeks. And he patched me together and got me on the start line. If I hadn't found him during that period, I simply wouldn't have been in the Olympics. So. Um, it, 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 again, it's, it, it's, it's very easy to say, you know, it's like, I'm, I want to lose five kilos of weight. Well, if you're not prepared to exercise more, eat less, then chances are you're not going to do it unless you want to go and get a tummy tuck or something. So it, it's being prepared to sacrifice uh, and put in the hard work and have the determination and drive to get to that end goal. Um, but for me, the, one of the first steps is surround myself with people that are going to help me to get there. Um, but have also massive clarity on what that end vision is. And then you start chunking it down. I always say start with the end in mind, right? So it's like, okay, yeah, if I'm going to go for an Olympic gold medal in Beijing in four years' time, I'd probably want to become world champion the year before. So that's three years. Okay, well, then I need to be in X, Y, and Z. And you just start working backwards from that point. And I think that allows you as well to, to digest it a lot easier rather than saying, building from the from that point onwards and saying well tomorrow i need to do this and then building up to the point i actually build back from it and then i'm like oh mm. i've got a plan i can actually do it <laughs> okay cool let's go <laughs> let's go and i'm interested when you talk about surrounding yourself by the right people i guess i can really understand that in the context of um sport and elite sport and high performance if we take that and consider what that looks like today for you um is this still a consideration and maybe that's a nice segue into kind of where you're at today and do you still adhere to that principle of surrounding yourself by the right people 100 percent, 100 percent. um which is why i met michael you had you mentioned it on the podcast before um i often find that the world is a lonely place um and and you know you need you need that that bout of sanity around you that some someone's seeing a blind spot, um, someone's pointing out something that you've missed. Uh, but you know I've, I I don't I I know very little about anything. Um, and you know it is about you know was it Steve Jobs that said you know if you're the cleverest person in the room you need to get out or you know, and and I and I believe in that. I know what I can bring to the table. I know that you know what I'm good at and what my strengths are. And through sport, I've been able to have that big sense of kind of self-realization and acceptance of who I am and what I, what I can do. Um, but equally I know what I can't do. Um, and I need people to, to come along and help me with it. So, um, and, and in sport as well, you're, you're taught to be very selfish, um, and at times very egotistical. Um, and it, that gives you a natural confidence or a quick confidence. And something that I've learned post sport is that level of, or just being humble and acceptance that that I don't really know much about anything. You know, as Aristotle said, that the only thing I know for certain is that I don't know anything. Um, and, and if we look at the knowledge and experience in the world in general, the amount that I know is very, very little. But I do know what I'm good at, um, and, and, and I'm. It's a very natural conviction, a very natural determination that I have. But actually, during periods of adversity, so if we take this period as an example. I have even more clarity over what I want to achieve 
and I'm even more convinced than I was four or five months ago that I'm going to do it. So what is it about the adversity of the current climate and everything that's happening with COVID-19 that has enabled you to actually extract more clarity from the situation? Um, well, yeah, you've got to be careful. I'm, I'm a little bit weird and messed up. <laughs> I think I'm wired a little bit differently. No. <laughs> um, no. I, 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 lo- I love the challenge. I love the pain. And, and obviously, look, take the human health and economic suffering element out of it because that's mm. never nice and that's something that obviously I'm acutely aware is happening in the world. Um, I love a challenge. And and I, and I one of the things, again, that I've realised is um, I love an adventure. And I think during challenging times, you have that sense of, of adventure more so than, than, than elsewhere. Um, so, so yeah, during this period where there's significant challenge, um, it, it allows me to, to come alive. Um, and I, I, I guess it is, again, maybe come back to that middle child syndrome of kind of being challenged, you know, someone saying that you're not good enough at something. Um, and I like to do things differently. So I see the world in a slightly different way. Um, I always think, you know, could this be done better? You know, is 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 it can the NHS be run better? Can politicians behave in a better way? Can are the business that I'm in perform to another level? Can it be better at what it does? And quite often you come up with the answer is well, yeah. And then you start asking yourself questions and you get into that resourceful mindset. So, okay, well, if it would be better, how would you do it? And you and I go just go down that journey. Um but I see this period as a huge, huge, huge challenge, and that makes me come alive because I'm a massive problem solver and um, I'm an extremely resourceful person um, to go out there and find things that I need to find in order to get me to where I need to get to. Um, And I love it. I come alive. That's so interesting. And I definitely see like having interviewed Nick Evans, ex All Black, and something that came out of the interview with Nick as well was just his capacity to reflect no matter how painful the situation was and is that very much linked to the environment that you were in for so long whereby you were almost I won't say forced but definitely part of your weekly or daily I don't know routine is to reflect what went well this week what didn't is that something that you've taken from sport and just brought into your life today yeah spot on um you know, I'm a big believer in that the only way to get better is through feedback. And when you're in a sporting environment, you're getting constant feedback. So that's whether how fast you're going, how strong you're doing, how much weight you can lift, um, how you're responding to certain sessions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and the coaching as well. So at the start of every day, you set out what that day is going to look like. You then then have a briefing about what you want to get out of that session you do the session during the session you'll get feedback through yourself and for your coaches and then you'll have a review at the end of it and that repeats seven days a week for 11 years right so Mm. you 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 crave and seek out that level of feedback how am i doing could i do this better what do you think about this um and i think it kind of overwhelms a lot of people um when someone like me comes out of sport into a, a corporate environment it definitely did in in the business that i'm in today 
that you're constantly going, okay, well, how, how can I do better? How can I do this? How? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa calm down, <laughs> calm down. It's almost <laughs> just, just, just get on with it, Steve. You're like, you're tiring us out. Um, you know, and I, which I think is why like, I've sought out personal coaches and life coaches because you, you can have that, that, that sparring. Um, no, you've got to be very careful because in a sporting environment, there's, there is no, um, necessarily, there's no kind of hierarchy or politics. And there should, I don't think there should ever be in sport, but you know, I would also give my coaches feedback. Um, and obviously you have to be mindful that when in a, in a corporate environment, you might not want to do that if you want to carry on with your career. But, um, but yeah, I think I love feedback. And as no matter how painful it is, because I'm like, well, if my end goal is to become an Olympic champion, I need to be as good as I can be on that day for a six minute period in four years time. And if that means that I have to be given feedback that I don't want to necessarily hear, but it gets me to that end point, fine, go for it. I might not like it at the time. I might have to, and I do, I have to process it. My, my immediate response to any negative feedback is you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. Then I go away and think about it and going, well, perhaps there was some truth of what they said. So what would you change about it? And then I decide that, yeah, okay, that's what I want to change and I go out and do it. But yeah, I think, I mean, I love, I crave feedback. It's like, tell me how, tell me how I can be better. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's two thoughts in my mind as you're saying that. And the first one is, so is there a piece of feedback that you kind of have received consistently that's been most challenging to accept? Maybe I'll start there. <laughs> yes. Um, people have given me feedback that I'm arrogant um, and they have given me feedback that I can come across aggressive um, when I'm when I'm talking um, particularly when I get passionate um, and I don't like either because internally I don't feel that I am arrogant um, whereas now on reflection there are periods where I probably was um, and the the aggressive thing is, I don't, I don't know. I'm quite a, a, a tall guy. I'm fairly well built, um, and I think there's a stature thing. But equally, the tonality of my voice, etc. But again, but in my head, I'm not being that. So I, I often kind of, or I did in the past, I would fight back against it and be like, "Well, no, that's not true because I'm not being aggressive." But actually, you, know, you have to be mindful of how you're being perceived and the truth and reality that the people are seeing. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because perception is reality. And, and I've gotten that a little bit, not, not so much in professional life, but if I'm having a passionate conversation with my husband and we're discussing yeah. something, he'll say, gosh, you're, you're being pretty aggressive. I'm like, for me, it's it's nowhere near aggression. It's just me getting yeah, very yeah. engaged in a topic. And I guess you've raised something interesting for me as well, which is because I definitely think I have to... You know, I, I certainly wouldn't have received as much feedback as um, you over the years because I haven't been in that environment um, I'm definitely leaning into and requesting feedback much more um, and have been over the past few years but it's it's not it's not easy to receive and actually it, there's, there's an entire art to it because again it's there are times whereby what you intended didn't actually um, happen or it wasn't received in that way um, so there's almost like this I mean, maybe you can talk to us a little bit. I mean, you talked about your process in terms of you going away and reflecting on it. Have there been times where you've thought, you know, I, I can't take that particular piece of feedback on board and that's not true? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and with feedback, I think that, you know, people think that, or people that I've spoken to at least think that, um, that you, you have to act on it. Um, and that's not the case at all, um, because it might not be true. Um, and equally, it may be that the other person is feeling jealous or threatened or something, you know, that, that they're giving you feedback at the time. And, um, you know, I, I, I've, I kind of, because I got the feedback that I was potentially arrogant, I would then I started to say things like, I know that this may come across as arrogant, but it's not intended to be. And I was starting to caveat a lot of the things. Um, and the coach that I'm currently working with, a guy called Nick Williams, he was like, can you just do me one, can you just do me a favour, Steve? I was like, yeah, of course, Nick. No, no, no worries. He goes, can you stop caveating everything you're saying? There is a massive difference between self-confidence and arrogance. And I'm telling you now, I do not think you're arrogant. There will be people out there that see it as arrogance and will give you that feedback, but it's not. Because you're coming from a position of caring, a position of being humble, and a position of, again, around that conviction. If I'm convinced that I can do something and that I'm able to achieve something, and I'm outwardly saying, not many people, particularly British people, I find that go out there and say, well, I'm incredibly good at this. <laughs> it's a very un-British thing to say, but it just might be true. And therefore, when we get the feedback, it's like, well, okay, I, I'm hearing you, but I'm sorry, I just don't agree. Um, and, 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 and I think, again, it, it comes back to, to your own perception, maybe, of yourself. I mean, one of the things, one of the moments in my life <clears throat> that I'm quite proud of is that, um, and I don't want to bore you with too much rowing chat, but um, we, came, we, we came third in the semi-final in Beijing. Okay, so the top three three from each semi-final go through to the final. If you come fourth, you don't get to go to the final and you don't get to win a medal. We messed up the race. We were rubbish. We were, you know, everything we said we were going to do, we didn't do. We came third. And therefore, we were probably placed sixth, you know, fifth or sixth in the final. And I remember the coach sat us down and he said, right, you know, I've, I've reviewed everything um, and I think that we should do this. I think we should change everything that we're doing. I think we need to do this. Our tactics need to be this, da, 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 da. And I said, Mark, thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. But do you know what? No, we just didn't execute it. What we said we were going to do was right. We just need to go out there and do it. And then in the final, we executed everything that we've ever wanted to execute in the last four years. And we walked away and we put ourselves in a position, particularly to win the silver medal and missed out very, very narrowly on it. But I left everything out on that rowing lake. And I'm, I'm so proud of that six minutes, 12 seconds of my life that I did everything in my power. So I got some feedback. I didn't think it was appropriate and I've decided not to take it on. And I think that we need to be mindful of that as well. As feedback for me has to become from a position of care. If I don't feel that you care about me as well and that you genuinely want me to be better and you're just giving me feedback, I'm very, I'm, I'm going to be very wary about it. But if you, like, I feel that you care about me and you do want me to be better, I will listen to it and I will go through that process. Like I say, it's very much like, no, you're wrong. Don't challenge me. I don't like it. Reflection, actually, is there truth in it? What are they saying? What does it mean? Can I get better here? What, and then, then it goes into, okay, what do I need to do about it? We'll start to wrap up in a minute because I could talk all day. But when you talk about fulfillment, you very yeah. much uh, talk to adventure. And if I were to ask you in terms of what, really contributes to your fulfillment what 
key words would you draw on beyond adventure? Um, freedom is a big thing. Uh, the freedom to be me, to be the authentic me. Um, uh, I, I think that um, you, people talk about purpose and, and wise, but I think it's that that vision, that end point, where I want to end up at. So have the clarity and thinking, um, and be motivated by doing it or inspired. I think is probably a better word. Um, so I think it's so important to know where you want to end up. It's almost like plugging, you know, opening a sat nav and just saying, "Take me somewhere." I think you've got to you've got to know what that postcode is, and then it works out what roads you need to take. Um, I think I, I, I need to be surrounded by people that are equally as inspiring as me and willing to go on that journey with me. I, I like being part of a team, so I fulfilled fulfilled by contributing to be part of a wider team. I think that's important rather than a lone wolf. Um, yeah, I think those are probably the main things, and and yeah, that sense of reward when you get there, and and that can be a hug, a high five, it could be a billion dollars or it could be an Olympic medal, but that sense of stop, pause, and we've achieved something. And that moment, like I say, will be something that when I stood on that medal podium, no one could take that away from me. No one can take away that feeling. And I think that we, we're, you know, like you, I can, we can talk, I could talk all day, but I think that we're caught up in a lot of materialistic reward things, whereas actually that sense of feeling that I got standing on that medal podium, you couldn't pay me enough money to take that away from me. It was just worth more than anything that I've ever wanted in my life. Um, and it was just a feeling and it sounds silly, but yeah, even now I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Cause I'm kind of put myself back on that medal podium. But it, yeah, it was just, it was so special. So special. As you think back to that experience on the podium, is that a big part of what fuels you to commit to and engage in the process today so knowing that when you commit to a particular process when you move through it when you push through resistance when you keep going the feeling that you get at that end point um I'll bet it may not feel like you're on a podium at the Olympics I appreciate that you know but but is that a big part having had that experience is that a big part of what drives you today yeah, definitely. I think you, everyone needs a sense of validation and a sense of you know success. Although there's obviously multiple failures that I encountered along the way, um, but yeah, it, it, it's um, it's loving the process, and I don't. I I think we often ignore that. So one of the things that, that I often say is, I I, I so I, I pulled away in my car at two thousand and four, Olympic dream shattered. And I said to myself, right, I want to become an Olympic champion in four years' time. So for the next four years, there wasn't a single day that I woke up and thought to myself about that gold medal. Not once. Okay, it was in the back of my mind. I knew what I wanted to achieve. I knew it was the vision. But I didn't obsess with the end result. And I didn't even think about it. The only day that I allowed myself to think about that end result, that gold medal, was on the morning of the Olympic final. And what every day was about was about loving the process, enjoying the process, and embracing the process. Because and 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 for the record, the process is not this dream world where you're dancing on fields, you know, of, of roses in in the clouds. It is 
sitting on a rowing machine two and a half thousand meters up a mountain for three weeks six hours a day like there is nothing enjoyable about that but it's the process if 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 i didn't do that i knew that i was then harming my chances of getting my end result right so i am prepared to go through that knowing that the end result and again i didn't stand on that olympic medal or the olympic podium sorry and think to myself oh well you know there was a day that was really rubbish and i would really regret having to do that and it was really painful it it goes it just goes so for me yeah having that experience and 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 kind of being able to access that feeling like you say and the experience that i had allows me to i guess almost be more free in terms of my risk taking and the journey and the adventure that i want to go on knowing that there are going to be days that i don't like and i don't doing stuff that i don't particularly want to do but if i can replicate that feeling again that, that is the most incredible thing incredible gift the world can give you and to be able to share it with the people that are around you that went through that experience with you together like yeah. it's 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 amazing um, and and quite often it's hard to kind of put into words and verbalize and make sense of there's one very pre- pressing question that I feel I have as you talk about the process for listeners out there that might be thinking, you know, well, what if you can't enjoy the process? You know, what if you can't find yeah. the joy of sitting on a rowing machine for two hours? Um, how, yeah. How, so how do, how do you enjoy the process? And and perhaps what are the barriers to enjoying the process? <laughs> I think you've got to, you've got to make a decision on how much sacrifice you're willing to give. So, you know, how much pain am I willing to go through in order to get what I want? And if you're not willing to do it, then you've got to accept that, you know, you're not going to get the end result. So there was a certain amount of pain and discomfort and things that I didn't want to enjoy that I was willing to go through. If I'd been asked to sit on a rowing machine up a mountain every single day for four years, I probably wouldn't have done it. But it was only for three weeks a year and I could I could I could get through that. I'm a big, you know, I'm a big believer in in that you you know you've got to love what you're doing you've got to you've got to have fun if it's not if you're not having fun don't do it um so you have to find moments of joy and fun um otherwise it's just it's just not worth it and i think you will potentially look back at it when you do get there and go it's probably not worth the journey wasn't worth it um so yeah it's it's a balancing act and you know what it's difficult there's no magic bullet there's no there's no right or wrong answer. I think you just kind of have to weigh it up on a daily basis. And if and if you're spending too much time doing things that you don't enjoy and that don't make you happy as part of the process, then maybe you need to reconsider it. Um, but generally, if you're playing to your strengths, if you have the freedom to, to be who you want to be and you're able to bring you to the table, um, more often than not, I think you're gonna you're gonna find some some sense of joy and fulfillment in that process. Okay, I think Steve, that's just um, a, a perfect way to um, close the loop on this conversation. Thank you so much. What an incredible story, um, and yeah, pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. No, it's been a, it's been a privilege, and thank you. I really appreciate you having me on, and hopefully, I've made some sense of it um, and, and and made some sensible comments. But yeah, I, I mean, like you, I can talk about it all day, and yeah, it's just it's just it's just great sharing it and and trying to help in my little way in any way that I can anyone out there that's listening but I really appreciate it Sinead it's been it's been a great experience so thank you thank you so much for listening 
If there's something that you've heard in this episode that has resonated with you, or perhaps you think it could benefit someone else, then please do share this link or start the conversation. If you haven't done so already, click on the subscribe button in your listening app. And as always, I really value your feedback. So please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And for more information, full show notes, links and resources, you can pop over to my website, SineadMillard.com. See you next time back here on The Courage To Be.